I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. And on a personal note, I need to tell you that this is the last Friday in January, and it's negative two degrees outside, and and I'm heading for Florida today, so this is awesome. Anyway, so parents, all scripture comes from the Complete Standard Bible, the uh, CSB this week, and we will be mostly in Genesis 9, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be on every living creature on the earth, every bird in the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. And I will require a penalty for lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If somebody murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his image. But you, be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply it. That's a lot of verses for this week. Anyway, last week we saw that the first thing that Noah and his family did after getting off the ark was build an altar, which is much easier than building an ark. They would have gathered large stones and piled them into a heap, and then they would have gotten wood, which they would have placed on top of the stones, and after lighting the wood on fire so that there were hot coals to use, Noah would have taken the animals and waited till they were very calm, And he would have very quickly cut the throat with a knife so sharp that the animals wouldn't feel anything. And the animal would have been placed whole on the altar. Now the Bible tells us that God enjoyed the smell of the meat and that he said to himself that he would never deal with the problem of evil again by descending a disaster on the whole earth. But now, this week... We will see God speaking to Noah for only the second time since telling him to get on the ark in the first place. What is God going to say and why is it important? And what's a Bible sandwich? We're going to talk about that too. Now, a scripture sandwich is something that we find in certain books of the Bible and especially in the Gospel of Mark where it talks about something Then it changes the subject to talk about something entirely different and then goes back and talks about the same thing all over again. It's like the stuff on the outside is the bread and on the inside we find meat and mustard and hopefully some avocado. Now, with today's lesson, the verses begin and end with God telling Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and to spread out all over the earth. And we were supposed to do that because otherwise it would be too easy to just have one big city in the middle of the earth. And if that happened, then humans wouldn't be image bearers for God because they wouldn't be going out everywhere so that the whole planet would see what God is like. 
The earth needs to be cultivated with good things like fruit trees and wheat and grapes and all sorts of things. God made the earth to be good and to provide food not only for people but also for animals. And we can't take care of things that are a gazillion miles away. We can't rule over the entire earth if we're all cooped up in one place. That wasn't God's plan. God wanted the entire planet inhabited with his image bearers, the people who show the world what God is like. And so that is the sandwich bread for this week's lesson. And you might ask what we're supposed to do now that there are over 7 billion of us and people are everywhere now. That's a really good question because the problem isn't that there aren't people everywhere. The problem now is that the people everywhere don't know God and about Jesus. Okay, and when Jesus left to go be with God, he gave a new commandment. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, always teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. That's Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So Christians are fruitful in multiplying, uh, you know, they not only in having kids, even though we still have kids, but the more important way that we are fruitful and multiply is by introducing people to God by teaching them about Jesus. Anyone can have kids, whether they know and love God or hate him. So that isn't what we should focus on or be proud of. Jesus gave his people a brand new and better way to be fruitful and multiply by making people into believers. Let's look at some of today's verses. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and every fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Now, Noah and his sons weren't missionaries or in the ministry. I mean, they're the only folks on the earth, and the only way they could be fruitful and multiply was to have kids and to teach them to love and obey God, which is how God planned for his ways to be the only ways on earth. Of course, Noah didn't know anything about Jesus because at this point he hadn't taken on human form yet. He was there as the son with God and the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't human yet. And so with no perfect human to be to perfectly show the planet exactly what a perfect God is like, humans were given the authority to do the best they could over the planet and over the animals. But because God knew the humans want to do bad from the time they're born until the time they die, things had to change with the animals. God made the animals not only be a bit nervous around us, but to have fear and terror. And that's exactly how we should describe any animals that are not used to being cared for and fed by humans. Why did God do that for the animals? Aren't they better off living close to us and not being worried about us? Well, not really. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a walk with my husband down by the river only to see a kid kicking or chasing the geese right in front of his parents while the parents laugh. A whole lot of humans like to be really cruel to animals. 
It isn't as bad as it was 200 years ago before William Wilberforce created the RSPCA, which is the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and started to make people think differently about things like beating horses to death when they're too tired to pull a cart, or forcing animals to fight one another until one dies, or killing an elephant just to take its tusks for the ivory. There are animals that are extinct now, meaning there aren't any more, and endangered because people can be very selfish and cruel. Hunters go out and they eat what they kill, no different than buying cows and chickens from, chickens from the supermarket, but too many people just enjoy killing for the fun of it. Now, to protect animals from that, God made them so that they're afraid of us for their own good. It's amazing how much God cares for all the things he's created. So birds will fly away, animals will run away, and fish try to stay away from hooks and nets. An animal has to be trained not to run away from a human. Now, our authority, meaning our right to rule over the earth, needs to have limits because we aren't like Jesus. God told Noah and his families that the animals are all under their authority, but he knew that he couldn't trust people with that authority unless the animals had their own protections. Isn't that sad? That God can't trust us to treat his creation with gentleness and kindness and self-control and wisdom? That's why when Jesus was raised from the dead, God gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. God doesn't have to worry about Jesus using his power in any terrible ways. God can and does trust Jesus with absolutely everything and everyone, not only on earth, but in the entire universe. It's like the difference between a good king or queen and a bad king or queen. Do you run when you see one coming or do you try and get closer? Let me give you an example to help. When Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil... The Gospel of Mark tells us that the wild animals were there with him. They weren't afraid of Jesus because there was no need to be. He's their king, and they know they can trust him to be entirely good and not at all evil. Wild animals would never trust us in the same way, and they shouldn't. What else did God have to say to Noah? He said, Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I have given you everything. Wow. Now that's a big change. If you remember all the way back in the beginning, humans were only allowed to eat plants. Meat was not on the menu, boys. However, I do believe that one of the kinds of violence that was going on in the world before the flood had to be violence against animals. And I'm sure they were probably being eaten too. Just because people aren't supposed to do something or aren't allowed to do it doesn't mean that they don't do it. You might have noticed that humans have always done a lot of things that God didn't tell them to do. And if the critters were hanging around unafraid, then that would have been a real problem. And Noah and his sons might have been eating meat too because the world had gotten very bad. And all we know is that Noah was the best of the bunch. And so God's allowing humans to have meat, and in the future, he will even command that people eat meat on certain occasions like Passover. What else did he have to say? However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. Hmm. This is a very serious commandment that we see all the way through the Bible. 
not just in the Old Testament, but also in the book of Acts. Jesus's followers among the Gentiles were told to never eat meat with blood in it. And really, most people don't. Blood is just nasty, but in the ancient world, and still in a lot of places today, people believe that drinking blood actually helps them. In some cultures, they think that if you kill an animal and drink its blood, that you will become stronger or wiser or faster. Others believe that if you kill a person who's an enemy and drink their blood, no, you aren't a vampire because that's made up. What they think that whatever made your enemy strong will make you strong too. Some people use blood as medicine because they think it will cure them, and especially in cultures without modern medicine. In places where they don't have access to salt or salt water, sometimes they'll eat blood instead. We need salt in order to live, and so in some cultures what they do is they strangle animals instead of cutting them on the throat so that the blood stays in the body. Animals killed in this way suffer a lot. <coughs> and God has never wanted animals to suffer like that. So we're commanded to always spill the blood out onto the ground instead and return it to God. God says that all blood belongs to him because there is life in it. And it's no wonder. You know, we can survive without a lot of things, but blood is not one of them. And people would notice that when a person bleeds too much that they die. So that's a good way for God to put it. You know, they didn't know that the oxygen in the blood is what actually keeps us alive. Keeps our organs working and without it, they stop working really quick. And speaking of our blood and not just animal blood, what does God have to say about our blood? And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Yikes. Things have changed a lot since the very first murder when Cain killed Abel. The world became so terribly violent that even Noah's family had to be specifically told not to kill anyone. Well, that's pretty messed up. Now, God tells us that an animal who kills people has to die, and also any person. Not many sins in the Bible are talked about this way, that somebody actually has to die because the crime was so over-the-top horrible, but murder is one of those crimes. Murder, which is killing someone on purpose, is a sin that can't ever be made right by saying sorry or replacing something, or giving someone a present. When a person is dead, they're dead forever. And all the people who love them are going to suffer because of it. Suffering is worse than just being sad because suffering hurts us all over, inside and outside. People see things that remind them of the person who was killed and they hurt inside so badly. Murder's the most terrible sin of all. And God doesn't want us to do that. He gave us a warning that the person who kills has to be killed. When people get away with killing, it's easier to do it again. But what about accidents? Well, the Bible tells us that when someone is killed by accident, that's entirely different. Still, let's never try to, yeah, let's try to never kill anyone by accident either, okay? Most accidents that end up killing people are actually pretty easy to avoid. Don't play with guns, not ever. 
or knives. Not ever. Don't throw rocks off of high places. Don't take drugs. Don't eat things that aren't food. Pretty much, if someone is daring you to do something, don't ever do it. And especially if someone's holding a video camera, because all they want to do is take a video of you getting hurt so that they can go viral on YouTube. And we're going to have a little poem here about it. God will often communicate with us in poetry, even when it doesn't look very poetic in English, but in Hebrew, the original language it was written in, it's obviously a poem. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood must be shed, for God made humans in his own image. And now we have the reason why God tells us not to have patience for murder. Each person on this planet is made in the image of God. We have the ability to be like God in how we behave, how we love, how we take care of people, and how we take care of the world around us. Only humans are able to do that. Animals live by their instinct, and they are very concerned with their own survival and the survival of their babies, and sometimes their own family. But only humans are willing to die to save a complete stranger or to fight for something that only helps somebody else. Think about firemen. Firemen risk their lives to save other people's homes. You certainly wouldn't see a wolf rushing to try and save a bunny from a fire. No, he would open his mouth and eat a bunny that was running away from the fire. Lions don't care if they eat the very last wildebeest. I mean, they'll care later on when they can't find another one to eat, but they aren't going to try and protect them and make sure that they don't go extinct. The deer aren't creating national parks and wildlife refuges where animals in beautiful places are safe from people who might want to destroy them. You see, God gave humans a special gift, the gift of caring and the gift of being smart enough to figure out how to take care of things. The rest of the animals can be fruitful and multiply, but only humans can do that plus rule over God's creation with wisdom. That doesn't mean we're always wise and good about how we treat the world, but it means that we have the ability to do it the way we think God would do it if he was here with us. So when a human is murdered, it isn't like when an animal is killed for food. When a human is killed, the world has lost something very special. All the things that the human knew were lost and all the things that human would have done are also lost. If that person is young, then all the children they could have had won't be born. The discoveries that they would have made won't get made, or at least not for a lot longer. The things they could have built won't be built. You know, the Jewish people have a wonderful way of looking at it. They say that when you save a life, you have saved the whole world. It's because every person who has ever been born has something important to do to make the world a better place, no matter who they are, or where they are. Every human being has this wonderful spark of life in them that isn't like anyone else and certainly isn't like any animal. Yes, I'm talking about you too. You're going to meet people who I will never meet and you'll go places I will never go and you will know things that I never know and you will have wonderful God-given talents to do things that I can't do. And that's just some of the wonderful things about you and just a few of the reasons why your life is so important and precious to everyone else. Because you are one of a kind and no one is exactly like you and not even if you're an identical twin. 
It means that God has you on a special mission that no one else can do quite the same way. And I don't know what that is, but as you follow Jesus and try to live more and more like him, you'll find out what it is and it will probably be a big surprise. And maybe you won't even find out about it for a very long time. But if you keep on listening and waiting and watching, all of a sudden it'll happen. Now, do you think that I thought that I would ever be a teacher? Oh, no way. I didn't even think that 10 years ago. It wasn't until I was about 44 years old that one day, out of the blue, all of a sudden, I could teach people things. You know, I tried before that, and it was a horrible disaster. But what I have been good at since I was a teenager is studying and writing. I always got A's in English and history, even though what I really enjoyed was science. And so I went to college and I got a degree in chemistry. And I spent three and a half years learning about really complicated math and physics and chemistry and really wasn't very interested in writing books or teaching the Bible. Goodness sakes, I wasn't even a Christian until I was 29 years old. I was really a big mess in my life, even though I was smart and I worked really hard. I bet a lot of people thought that I was pretty hopeless and maybe even some of them wanted me gone forever. But I'll tell you, one day God started making that spark inside me and you've got one too, get bigger and bigger until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I started to believe what people said about Jesus. And then one day I told Jesus that he's the boss of me and that I wasn't going to ignore him anymore. And then I started to change a lot and I started to learn a lot, but I still didn't know what my special job was. And about 10 years later, people started having strange dreams about me being surrounded by kids. And I was like, oh, no, two's enough for me. <laughs> and my husband, Mark, was even more worried about that than I was. But then one day out of the blue, God made me a teacher. And I found that I could teach people things pretty easily. Couldn't teach anyone anything before that. And I started writing books for grownups. But people kept seeing me surrounded by kids in their dreams, and then I started dreaming about it, too. One day, God told me to write a kind of book that had never been written by anyone before. He told me to write a book that teaches kids about the really complicated stuff in the Bible, because you're smarter than people think you are. And he told me how to write it, and told me what order to do everything in so the kids could understand it, and then he did it three more times. I haven't written a book in about four years, but now I'm on the radio teaching kids from all over the world. And how crazy is that? Well, isn't nearly as crazy as me being surrounded by a hundred kids in real life, let me tell you. I'm grateful that, that dreams aren't always what they seem to be. Now, God gave me a job that was only for me. And when he asked me to do it, I did it. And you know what? There is nothing really special about me. I just kept listening and reading my Bible and learning about history. And one day God put all the pieces together and bit by bit, he led me on this journey to teaching you guys. Now, 
Let me tell you something. God wouldn't take a scientist and turn her into a Bible teacher just for you if you guys weren't very important. God took my whole life and changed it and focused it on teaching you guys. He went to a whole lot of trouble, too, let me tell you. When I pray and when I have dreams, God often tells me how important you guys are to his plans for his kingdom. Grown-ups often think that Jesus will return any minute, but if that was true, then God wouldn't be telling me how important you are and about all the things he wants you to know about him. You guys are going to grow up and get jobs and have families, and you're going to do some very important things for God. You're definitely going to make the world a better place. And I believe in you because God told me how important you are to his plans. I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I pray you have a wonderful time studying the Bible with the people who love you this week. Bye-bye.